dark. It's fine. Um, <laughs> can you guys help me uh, thank Bob and Sue for being willing to share with us in that way? Um, and for the way that they are just partnering with God to bring the up there, down here in that way. I'm just so thankful that they embody the values of Bridgeway that we've been talking about. Um, this whole month, we have been in a core value series, like Joel mentioned, um, and it all um, leads back to this vision that we have, this mission here at Bridgeway that says this, we exist to partner with God to bring the up there, down here. You guys, we believe that Jesus is up to something. We know he's up to something and we want to be a part of it now. We don't want to wait until we take our last breath to kind of realize heaven. We want Kokomo, Indiana, as weird as that might sound, right, to look like heaven now instead of waiting. So the last three weeks we have been talking about um, what that looks like. And so for us, one of the thing, ways that looks like is that there are no perfect people who go here. That should hopefully be good news for you. But there, there's no bouncers or gatekeepers at the front door uh, not letting people in because everybody is welcome here. Then two weeks ago, we talked about how um, your doubts and your questions when you read the Bible or when you are talking to people about your faith um, are not the enemy of your faith. You guys, spoiler alert, but um, he already knows you have those, okay? So it's okay to speak them out loud to other people um, as well and to question because that's when you lean in, that's where you're going to learn so much more and where you're going to grow in your faith. Then last week we talked about um, getting dusty and how we want to follow so closely behind Jesus that we get dust on us, kicked up on us because we're following so closely and living like him. And today we're going to continue on with that, but we are um, going to talk about, you may have heard us say longer tables, shorter fences around here, or you may be thinking, what the heck does that even mean? But um, we are going to talk about that imagery of the table. And um, if we've never met like Joel mentioned, my name is Allison, and I actually serve as the Next Steps director here. And a lot of times people are like, what does that even mean? Some weeks, I don't really know. But I can tell you for certain that part of um, my role here is to coordinate groups. I work with group leaders. I connect people to find the right group, like Bob and Sue. Um, a lot of um, interaction with group leaders and just curriculum for groups, um, but I also lead a table group, and um, this is my crew here, or part of them anyways, um, but they are college age. They're not all students, but they're all college age, uh, so I don't just find leaders. I'm also a leader myself, and in fact, at Bridgeway, we currently have 22 table groups, which for a church our size, I feel like is pretty amazing, um, and I love groups, you guys. They are um, a place where you can find encouragement and support and camaraderie with other people. There's a place where you can learn more and grow in your faith. They're a place where you can meet new people and make new friends, which as adults sometimes can be a little challenging. But full disclosure, hand to God, I don't always want to go to my group. Okay? And maybe I shouldn't be telling you this because, you know, groups is part of my job. So I'm just don't tell my boss I might not be so great at this part, but um, I know I'm not alone. I know there are many of you that every week are sitting at home debating whether or not to put your shoes on, get up and go to that group. 
okay? But we're stressed, and we're tired, and we don't want to be where the people are, okay? We are the opposite of the Little Mermaid sometimes. At least I can speak for myself, right? So I usually debate. um, I have a couple of options. One, cancel, (laughs) or two, go. And my husband says I can't cancel, and I have to remind him that, oh, yes, I can. It's super easy. One little quick text to these uh, group of college students, and We are done. We are in sweatpants, watching Netflix, not worrying about our group, okay? But I love my group, and I never want these kids, yes, I keep calling them kids, even though they're technically adults, but they're still kids to me. Um, I never want them to doubt that I am there for them. So most weeks, I muster up all the energy I have in my sweatpants, I grab my snacks, and we go to this group, because when we first started, I had two couples. They're This was an actual couple, but these were just friends who wanted to be in this group. So we had four. Now we have 10 people in this group. So everybody else has taken this super uncomfy step to join a group that they didn't know anything about, or they didn't know anyone in the group either, but they were willing to take that step to kind of meet people and learn a little more in their faith. So let me ask you, this question. When was the last time that you took that uncomfy step to make a new friend? A recent study from the Survey Center on American Life found that 22% of Americans say it's been at least five years since they've made a new friend. You guys, five years almost seems like prehistoric times at this point. This pre-pandemic life that was something that I don't even understand now. I don't even hardly remember it. But that was five years ago. So in fact, this study says that close to half, like 49% of Americans say they have three or fewer close friends. It says that around 36% of Americans report having four to nine close friends, and then 13% of Americans say they have 10 or more close friends. But I feel like, is that a lie, you guys? Some of you have 10 or more close friends. I feel like one of Jesus' biggest miracles um, was this right here. Nobody talks about the Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. 12. I'm not in my 30s anymore, that ship sailed, but still, 12 close friends. You guys, when you think about friendships, what comes to mind? Are they friends that you had in elementary or high school? For coworkers who have become friends? Maybe people that you've met because your kids played sports together and now you're friends? Maybe they're situational, like at the gym or at the dog park or someplace you volunteer and now you've become friends? Are they just friends that you have online, like on social media? Full disclosure, the past several years, I've kind of reflected on um, friendships and what kind of friend am I? Like, am I a good friend? I don't know. But I've come to realize a few things about myself. One, um, if you move away, I have every good intention of still being your friend and meeting up, but it's not going to happen. I, all my good intentions um, are there, but the proximity in life, like, it's Sorry, it's not. Um, If we have only met in real life um, once, uh, but I follow you on social media, I keep up with your dog and your kid and everything, and I see things, and I'm like, oh, look, Charlie took his first steps. I've never even met Charlie. I don't even know Charlie, but I am rooting for you, you guys. I don't know why I'm like that, but um, that's who I am. 
also, another thing I learned about myself is if you don't get excited about the mundane, like weird uh, little things in life, I'm probably not your friend um, because I love weird things. I have taken a friend to go eat lunch at a private airport in Columbus, Indiana. Don't think like private jets, think like Kokomo Airport, okay? But they have a cafe. And you guys, they have turkey Manhattan with mashed potatoes on their menu. It's so good. Um, but I have also put on a headlamp before and looked for rocks that are supposed to glow in the dark in Michigan, okay? Or walked to a lighthouse in the dark because the light, you guys, it's fascinating. <laughs> anyway, so that's the kind of friend that I am. But one of the most basic and most important, um, but also the most neglected part of our Christian life is friendship. It's community. Being and having good friends and community has always been God's plan for us. But we often think that we can go it alone that we don't need anybody else, or we think we're putting people out by asking them to do things with us. Um, but as I was reflecting on friendships, I started to think about what does the Bible actually say about friendships? Not what does society tell me that I need to think about friendships or community, or how, what does it mean? Why do we say at Bridgeway that uh, we wanna have longer tables and shorter Fences. So I want to be clear, too, because humanity requires connection, not coupling, okay? This is not like a single person looking for a life partner kind of issue. This is a human issue because we were all created for connection, for trusting, for loving, for supporting and encouraging. We long for it, you guys. We get um, disoriented. We get anxious. We get angry without it. In short, it is not good for human beings to be alone. And that line of thought actually begins way back in Genesis 2. Yep, super early in the Bible. In case you're not familiar, Genesis, very first book, okay? Uh, poem, actually. But let's back up. Starting in this Hebrew poem of Genesis 1, God starts a sevenfold um, poetry refrain. And if you're not familiar with poetry, a refrain is like a word or a line or a phrase that gets repeated over and over throughout. But God talks about how um, he sees creation and it is good. And everything that he says, from plants to water to moon to stars to suns to animals, everything is good. It is good. He says, it is good. But in the last line, it gets a little more intense because he says this. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God calls creation tov meod in Hebrew. It says, it is very good. He affirms all of creation, especially human beings, created in his own image and calls it very good. Good. So with this thought and everything that he's already created um, being good, it is good, in the back of our minds, we keep reading. And in Genesis 2, God looks at something and he actually says, nope. <laughs> or if he was Midwestern, he probably said, nope. But he's a little more eloquent than we are. So um, in Genesis 2.18, he says this, it is not good that the man should be alone. It wasn't that God made a mistake, but for the first time in the world's super short history, he looked at something and there was tension. 
and he realized that it needed a resolution. And the tension was human loneliness. You guys, I read an article recently that posed this question. What if the pain of loneliness is like the pain of hunger, an indication of need, not of deficiency? Because oftentimes I think we look at loneliness and think there's something wrong with us, right? We have so many opportunities for connection, social media, different things that we could go to or be at. Um, So we think if we're lonely, there's got to be something wrong with us. But I would argue, though, that you could be connected to everybody. You could have the most friends on social media of anybody ever, but be in community with nobody. And that's the difference. Because community or true, authentic friendship, um, those aren't the ones that um, are online. Those are the people that you are doing life with every single day. The people that sees, uh, see the whites of your eyes and, or know or haven't seen the whites of your eyes and know you haven't left your room in two days because you're depressed. They're the people who also know that you have goals and are rooting you on to meet them. They're the people that know that when you say that you're fine, you're not actually fine. You're actually freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, which is what fine stands for in my book, okay? So let's examine our own friendships for a minute. What um, is your support system like when life takes a drastic turn and doesn't look anything like what you had expected? Who are the people that you call when you have exciting news and you want to share it with somebody? Who are the people that when life inevitably takes a bad turn, show up at your house with ice cream and two spoons to wallow on the couch together. You guys, in a perfect world, we would all have just this huge arsenal of people in our corner, right? People that we could rely on, but I know that that's not always the case. And I've been there too, where I felt like I didn't have one person I could call, let alone an entire arsenal of people that would show up. But We also feel like nobody's pursuing us, right? And so then we get ticked. Let's be honest, okay? Full disclosure here. We get mad because we feel like nobody's reaching out to us. Nobody wants to hang out with us. Nobody's pursuing us. So then we distance ourselves as well. We kind of back off or pull away because our feelings are hurt instead of kind of reaching out to them, leaning in to this uncomfy, I'm alone, who can I do this life with, and calling somebody. But I get it, because I'm guilty of doing that exact same thing. Nobody likes rejection or, you know, to feel alone, and so we pull back from that. But God created us to live in close community with other people, people who can share the joys and the sorrows of our lives. I'll go as far as to say this. Community is non optional for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. So how do you find this community, right? What action steps can you take to find this community? I'm glad you asked. Uh, The first is come to church. Now, you're probably thinking I am preaching to the choir, right? Because you guys are here. (laughs) Uh, But hear me out. Community takes commitment. And we know that we have this imperfect crew here, but you have to commit to being here when it's raining outside, 
when, uh, you know, it may also look like mixing up where you sit so you can meet some new people. Mm -hmm. I know everybody's got their seat in the pew, right? And nobody sits in it. Mix it up. It's okay. I'm going to make you a little uncomfy today, and I'm not really sorry about it. Uh, but <laughs> it takes being here so you can see faces, so you can meet people, so you can get that encouragement and that support from the people who are here. Like Bob and Sue said, you know, we have three services. You may not even know people that come to the 1130 because 845 is your jam, right? But you have to commit to this imperfect community of Christ followers that we have here. Because when you're not here, you may be able to go back and watch the message on YouTube or listen on the podcast. But you know who also misses out? Your kids. Because they can't. And they have their own service here. And it's amazing. But they genuinely miss out. But we believe that coming to church and learning more about the kindness and character of God and getting this support and encouragement from those around you can literally change your life. That leads me to my second step. And don't worry, there's not like multiple, you know, flights to the staircase. Um, but the second step is to join a group. Now, let me be clear. We want you to join the right group with similar goals or um, struggles who will come alongside of you and build you up with empathy and encouragement. At Bridgeway, we call them table groups, right? You may have heard them called many things, small groups, life groups. But we love the imagery of the table because that's where People have morning coffee and they share meals. It's a place that's open for serious conversation, but also ruckus laughter a lot of times. It's a place where all are welcome and conversation flows freely. And what happens at the table can ultimately um, change, shape the lives of those who are sitting around it. But you know what? You have to get around the table. You have to have a place at the table. Uh, we talk about how we make longer tables because our groups are always open and we will always add you to a group. We will always make more room, add more leaves, how, whatever that is. I don't understand table leaves. But anyways, we will add more leaves to the table. But you um, don't have to join a group here. Again, I might need you to start a GoFundMe after this if I get fired. But it's okay. You don't have to join a group here. I don't want you to think that, oh, she just did that talk on Sunday because she wants me to join a group. That's not the case. I want you to join a group, um, but you may already have an amazing group of friends who support you and encourage you that you see regularly and do life with. And that's amazing. You guys, when Nick and I were newly married uh, with a baby, we had a core group of friends that got together every Friday night at our house to play games. We shared a meal together. We laughed together. We did life together. Um, we weren't an official small group or table group, and we eventually outgrew our house, and so we had to meet at the church we were attending. But we didn't have any curriculum. There was no um, lesson. We had chocolate fountains that we literally dipped um, pizza and Doritos in once. We had um, white carpet that was stained with Code Red Mountain Dew. Um, we actually broke our dining room table once trying to add the leaf to it. Literally went like this. You guys, but that group, they showed up for each other. They were there um, at new births, at devastating losses. They were there for college graduations and marriages and divorces. 
you guys. But that's what being in a group is all about. If you don't already have your people, the next step is to find a friend. And I know you're probably thinking, that's easier said than done, Allison. <laughs> like, okay, girl. Um, but friendship is messy and it's complicated. And it's not just other people. We are messy and complicated people as well. But if you are going at life alone and you think that something's missing, that's because it is. And finding a friend doesn't mean finding an entire arsenal of friends. So don't freak out, introverts. It's okay. <laughs> this will cause you to get uncomfy, though. Um, sorry again. I'm not really sorry about that. Because meeting new people just is that way. It's uncomfy. We love staying in our own little bubbles where nobody's going to hurt our feelings. We don't get hurt. We don't get left out of things, right? But nothing good comes from staying comfortable. So let me ask you this. When was the last time that you sat at a table with someone that you didn't know that well and business wasn't involved? You weren't talking shop. A couple of, go, a couple of months ago, I reached out to two different couples who I enjoy immensely, but they did not really know each other. And I invited them to go to dinner and then throw axes. Okay, you heard axe throwing? Okay. Um, <laughs> they didn't know each other, but now they do. And you guys, we didn't sit around a table and uh, ask each other 20, 20 questions or share our darkest traumas. We ate food, and then we went and threw axes at a wall. And I'm actually quite terrible at that. If you've never tried it, not good. Um, but I can't always guarantee that it'll go well or that people will say yes. But from what I know from conversations with a lot of you, um, you are longing for connection. So I think that getting that yes might actually be easier than you think. Professor and author Brene Brown put it this way. She said, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. And you guys, I think that's so powerful and also super challenging for someone like me who likes to white knuckle everything and make sure that I can control or at least think I can control the outcome of things. But while you're praying for and looking for that friend, here's the final step. Be a friend. I know that clearing off your table um, to make more room can seem super scary, right? But if we're being honest with ourselves, our tables are underutilized, at least for their intended purpose, right? They are full of um, school projects or piles of laundry, but we, nobody wants to clear off the table. So instead, we like just move things around to clear a little space so we can eat, or we eat on the couch in front of the TV because no one wants to mess with that table. But what if we cleared it off so we could invite people over to our table? Maybe even someone who isn't exactly like us. I know, I'm getting a little crazy. You were tracking with me when you could think of someone that you might be able to invite who, um, you know, shares a lot of your same ideals. Maybe they voted the same way as you. Maybe they think the same way as you. But what if we reached out to somebody who's not in our same tax bracket? Maybe they didn't vote like us. Maybe they don't think the same way that we think. But let me be perfectly clear about this. 
God's design isn't for us to find people exactly like us, right? I said what I said. And this isn't um, the book of Allisonians. I'm not making this up, right? This is God's design for us. Earlier, I talked about how in Genesis, God said it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, right? But the rest of verse 18 goes on to say this. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I can tell you when I first read that many, many moons ago, and even still just this last week, um, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up a little bit because I'm like, a helper? Come on, man. Real. So I took a deep breath, looked at a lot of different translations, uh, you know, listened to what other scholars and people way smarter than me had to say about it. And I've learned that the original context um, and how it was and how this word helper is now so loosely translated from that original text. So now I have a slightly different opinion on the word. Also, side note, um, that's what having like these doubts and these questions and what leaning into the uncomfy things that you bristle up against when you're reading the Bible can do. It can give you a different perspective. So if something seems weird or you are like, eh, I don't know about that, lean into why that has given you this uh, tension. But anyways, back. Um, but back to the text. Uh, helper in Hebrew is actually um, two words. It's ezer kenegdo. Now, I'm not going to make you repeat it. Don't worry. But what just, um, it, ezer is help. Kenegdo means against or opposition. So it actually means the help that opposes or the help that comes against him. And this, guys, is when you're like, oh, that makes sense because Eve was Adam's Azair Konegdo, um, and, you know, I have this wife, and she challenges me, okay? And that's okay because we were created to challenge you, to give you a different perspective, to make you think a little bit differently. We weren't just created to, like, hold the bottom of the ladder while you climb up or to find your lost keys. Not that kind of helper, okay? Our opposition isn't hateful or angry or anything like that because we can be your greatest help by supporting you and encouraging you to look at things a little differently. Kind of like that shirt you thought you were going to wear this morning when, you know, your wife said, is that what you're wearing? And then you turned around and had to go look at it a little differently, right? Kind of like that. I joke, but God was serious when he looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for you to be alone. It wasn't just that he needed any old companion, though, because God had already created animals and had Adam name them one by one. And even after he did that, it wasn't hitting the mark. God actually says that no suitable helper was found. So he created Eve, who looked at the world differently, because only when we surround ourselves with people who aren't like us, will humanity actually be at its fullest. You guys, I'm going to repeat that, because I want to make sure that you hear me. Only when we surround ourselves with people who are not like us, will the world actually be at its fullest. These aren't my instructions or suggestions. This is God telling you that life is so much better when you have people around you who 
differently, who vote differently, who you know work in a different uh, environment, who don't aren't in your same uh, socioeconomic bracket. We don't want to live in an echo chamber of ideas that sound exactly like ours. Because when we can really look at people as people and not just the opinions that they hold or the positions that they post on social media, um, that's where the magic happens. When we can get away from our hot takes and our mic drops and um, our get out from behind our screens and our devices, you guys, that's where we are truly going to understand people. When we can sit across the table from somebody um, and look in the whites of their eyes and actually see the one that we love, someone made in the image and likeness of God. We believe that Sunday mornings are a lifestyle of Jesus who spent time in the synagogue. We wouldn't be here if we didn't, right? Um, but the church is so much more than what happens on this stage or in those rows on a Sunday morning. The rest of the time, Jesus was with his friends out in the community, serving others, um, sitting at people with tables, inviting himself over to people's homes for dinner. Um, but when I first started thinking about this talk and about friendships and community, I kept coming back to this group of women that I had heard about at the well or at the tomb um, that had been with Jesus. Who are they? Where where did they come from? You know this kind of thing. But um, this is thousands of years after uh, those verses in Genesis, because now we are in Luke, super original um, name for this book, who was written by this doctor, Luke, who's not actually a preacher, um, and he talks about this group of women um, who had been together with Jesus before the crucifixion. You guys, they came with Jesus, followed him from Galilee to Jerusalem, which um, a little Google search will tell you is like a seven days walk in the hot desert sun. So this is no girl's trip to the sun, sand, you know, no cocktails with fruity umbrellas, nothing like that. But they followed Jesus as he carried the cross to his eventual death on that same cross and stayed until he was taken down and carried to the tomb. We can only imagine that their emotional state, not good. You guys, everything that they had known or thought was going to happen, everything that they thought had been promised to them was now, what, gone. But they stuck together. They prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. They sat together. They ate together. They cried together. They probably questioned what was next together. But they didn't get to choose what they went through but they did get to choose who they went through it with. And we don't always know those things either, but we do get to choose who we go through these things with. The one thing these women all had in common though was that they were all like-minded in their willingness to follow Jesus with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. They all had different backgrounds guys, socioeconomic, different tax brackets, different life experiences, but whatever they were before this huge life-changing event, they stuck together through Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. You guys, they became community. They stuck together when the going got so tough, they weren't sure they were going to be able to see through the other side. 
because actions always trump our good intentions. They didn't just say that they were devoted to Jesus and with each other. They showed up and stayed when the going got tough. And that's the kind of church that we want to be and are becoming, the kind of people that we want to be and are becoming. We want to have longer tables and more seats for people who are not like us at the table and shorter fences to just eliminate all those barriers or things that we think are reasons why we cannot sit across the table from a certain whoever. The women at the tomb, they showed us what friendship and true community look like when your one true goal is to follow Jesus. What if we lived so radically that our community would be shaken because they see us interacting with people who are not like us, sitting at tables where maybe we don't belong or weren't invited, and that's okay, but they would be shaken out of the skepticism about what is going on over there that they would wonder about who God is and what he can do for them too. So let me ask you some kind of questions as we wrap up here. Let me challenge you a little. I'm gonna azer connecto you in my own nice challenging way. But who is at your table? Is it just your family? Is it friends you've known your whole life? Are you sitting at your table alone? Are your, is your schedule so busy that you don't have room to invite people to your table or show up when somebody wants to invite you to theirs? You were created to live a life of community. You were not created to live this one-dimensional um, life where you aren't known and um, don't know people. You need to see people and be seen and known by them as well. And that's the kind of family that we're creating here at Breezeway. We want you to be longer table people with us. And it's going to be uncomfy. You know, those couples that I invited to that axe throwing thing, they didn't know each other, but they said yes. You guys, who can you invite? Who can you get uncomfy with? Because that's where the growth is.